Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Share this word with you and encourage you with it. Like, what does this mean, God? Because oftentimes we hear this word and, and if we're honest, we usually go toward the financial aspect of it. We think abundance, woohoo, lots of money, lots of good things, lots of stuff is kind of where we go. But we know that God is far more than that. Like, it's wonderful if that's part of it, but God is far more than stuff. Thank God. He's, I don't know how many of you ever saw Veggie Tales. I always think of um, Madam Blueberry and Stuff Mart. Um, you know, she had to have all the stuff from Stuff Mart until it blew her treehouse apart. Um, but anyway, so um, she just had to have all the stuff. But God is far more than stuff. Thank God. He's far more than stuff. And so I, I was reading through scripture and I was thinking about all the wonderful stories in the word of God um, about God's abundance and how he met people's needs um, and what he did and what abundance looks like. And first of all, I was thinking about um, the church at Ephesus and I had the wonderful honor of uh, taking a trip several years ago with my daughter's history club. And one of the places I saw was ancient Ephesus. And a tour guide told us that in Ephesus, um, the persecution of the church was particularly brutal. And one of the reasons for that was because um, the gospel was not very welcome there. Ephesus was a huge center of commerce. It was a bustling city. And the commerce, the predominant trade there was idolatry. Um, the temple of Artemis or Diana was a very big trade. A lot of money was made um, in idolatry between the, the little idols that were made, but the biggest trade was human trafficking. Um, there was child um, sacrifice. There was prostitution. There was some, a lot of debauchery that went on in Ephesus, and it, was, um, it made a lot of money for a lot of people. So along comes Paul preaching the gospel, um, a gospel of freedom and equality. It was not well received in Ephesus because it flew in the face of their commerce and their money making. And so persecution was great in the church and the um, arena there was used for a lot of death in the church. And so when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, the letter that he wrote to them, he was writing to them at a time where there was a lot of persecution and the church was um, suffering a great deal and there was a lot, of, um, a lot of disheartening things happening. So he was trying to encourage them to hang on and know that God was good, that no matter what was going on in their lives, no matter what they were facing, that God was still a good God and he was for them. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 20, he writes to them, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. 
First of all, God's abundance is far more than we can ask or think. That right there ought to encourage us, because I don't know about you, but I can think pretty big. I have quite an imagination, and I can think, I can ask pretty big, and I can't ask or think big enough for what God can do. And so we live in a world that um, understands abundance, at least in stuff, okay? And God created this world. And if we look around, we see a great deal of abundance in the world. Although it's been affected by sin, the world is still a world of abundance. And it produces a great deal of abundance in many areas. And so one of the things that we struggle with, because we live in this world, no matter how close we are to God, no matter how much, and I pray that you are every day getting closer to him, knowing him better through your prayer and through your praise, as Pastor John has been preaching about praising God and the importance of it and drawing closer to him, I pray that you're doing that every day. But no matter how close we're drawing to him, we can't help but be affected somewhat by the world. We see things through the world because we're affected by it. And so, you know what the world does really well, what it does abundantly, is it takes. That's what the world does abundantly. And because the world takes from us, we can sometimes become embittered or tainted by what it does. And so I was thinking about scripture and I was thinking, God, what illustration can I use to really show God's people how the world takes abundantly? And there's a wonderful story starting in Genesis 37. And I am not putting a lot of scripture up tonight because the stories that I'm telling you um, span a, sometimes a great deal of chapters in the Word. I'm just going to encourage you to go into the Word of God and study these out for yourself. But starting in Genesis 37, there's a story of Joseph. Many of you know the story, but the, the basic story, it starts in Genesis 37, and it basically goes through into the beginning of Exodus. So what happens with Joseph is he's a young man. He has several brothers. And Joseph finds favor with his father and with God. And so Joseph has a couple of dreams, and these dreams basically interpreted mean that his brothers and his father and his mother are going to bow down to him. Well, that's not really well received. And uh, his brothers don't like that very much. His father kind of ponders it and is kind of like, hmm. But his brothers don't like it at all. And so they're thinking that this young punk is just a little bit too big for his britches. And they're getting a little tired of Joseph, and they're thinking he's kind of a snot, and they've had it with him. And so over the course of time, they become more and more angry and more and more bitter with this young brother who they've just had it with him. And Daddy makes him this special coat, and they've just had it. And so one brother says, I'm going to kill him. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm going to kill him. And a more level-headed brother says, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a well and sell him into slavery. And he was going to go back and rescue him later, but that didn't happen, and he got sold into slavery. So fast forward, he's in Egypt, and God protects him through this process, but he has some pretty rough bumps. So he ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar, and he rises up in the ranks of servanthood, and he becomes head servant in Potiphar's house. So he has some favor, but he finds favor with Potiphar's wife who wants to sleep with him, and he refuses because he's trying to stay righteous. And Potiphar's wife then falsely accuses him of rape, and he ends up, ends up in prison. So he's in prison for several years, and he rises up in the ranks in prison, woohoo! 
Um, and so he's in there, and a couple guys from um, Pharaoh's house get thrown in prison. And he has, they both have dreams. So God gives Joseph the interpretation of the dreams. Unfortunately, one of the guys, the dream is, you're dead. Pharaoh's going to kill you. And the other guy was, Pharaoh's going to restore you to position. So it happens. And Joseph says to the guy who gets restored, hey, do me a favor. Don't forget me. Well, guess what? He forgot him. And so Joseph was laying there in prison for many more years. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream, or a couple dreams, <clears throat> which basically um, he doesn't know the interpretation of. And so he's looking for someone to interpret the dreams, and the guy that had been in prison with Joseph goes, uh, you know what, there's this guy I used to be in prison with, and he suddenly remembers Joseph. So Pharaoh says, I want Joseph, bring him to me. And Joseph, God gives him the ability to interpret the dreams for Pharaoh. So the interpretation was, okay, you're going to have seven years of abundance. You're going to have just an absolute abundance of crops and, and livestock, and you're just going to have so much that you, you, so much, just this amazing abundance. And then you're going to have seven years of absolute famine. So what you need to do is take the seven years of abundance and prepare for the seven years of famine. So you got to appoint somebody to manage that for you. And Pharaoh goes, you're it, dude. You're appointed. So he becomes second only to Pharaoh. So he manages it exceptionally well, and the seven years of plenty, he manages it so well that when the seven years of famine comes, Egypt has so much food that people come, because it wasn't famine just in Egypt, there was famine all over, and so people come from great distances to buy food from Egypt. So if you read the story, you can think what you want. There's lots of different thoughts. There's lots of different interpretations. I read lots of things about it. Joseph, in his management, um, again, there's those that criticize him. There's those that praise his savvy, whatever you want to think of it. Basically, what he does is as people come to buy the goods, first of all, they, you know, they sell livestock and you know, goods that they have. They sell everything they have. And eventually, they basically say, you know what, we're starving to death. We might as well sell ourselves to you. So they become almost enslaved to Egypt. They sell their land. And then Joseph, in the goodness of his heart, hands them back grain and says, all right, you can plant crops on now Pharaoh's land, but you have to give back so much to Pharaoh. So it became almost like a servitude. So that's what the world does. The world in abundance, this story is just an illustration of the world has all this abundance and then it allows you to survive and then it enslaves you. That's what the world does. And then what happens is another Pharaoh raises up, Joseph dies, another Pharaoh raises up, all the children of Israel are there in the land of Goshen and this Pharaoh raises up and says, I don't know who, who Joseph, Joseph who? and ends up enslaving God's people. And that's where we hear the story of the children of Israel becoming enslaved in Egypt. So that is how the world operates. It enslaves. No matter what happens, no matter how much abundance there is, the world doesn't share it. The world uses it to enslave us. Now, God may use the abundance of the world to bless us. He used a donkey to save Balaam from himself. Um, he used a rock to spit water out to save God's people from thirst. He used a stick when Moses used a rod to split the Red Sea. He used Pharaoh 
to bless a land that was full of famine. He used a fish with a coin in its mouth to pay taxes. He used manna, rain from heaven, to feed God's people in the desert. God can use things of the earth to bless us, but we have to be careful not to look to the things of the earth. Our jobs, the things of the earth, those things can never be our source because they will enslave. The world will always come with a price. God never comes with a price. He paid the price. You will never hear of another God ever that paid the price for you, ever. Jesus paid the price for us. That is the kind of God that we serve, a God of abundance. And so he is our source. And so when we praise him, we praise him because he is full goodness, full abundance, meets every need that we have. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what situation we are currently living in. And this is where it gets tough because sometimes we're in a tough situation. We are not seeing the need met. But we have to praise God in the midst of the storm, knowing that he is coming. He is a good God, no matter what is going on at the current situation. We have to still praise him and still know that he is good. Because God gives abundantly. And so, again, I was going through scripture and I was like, God, you are so good and you are such a need meter Show me stories of your abundance, not just financial, but other ways that you meet the need. In Mark chapter 5, we read a story, a similar, uh, familiar story. Often this man is referred to as the demoniac of the Gadarenes. This is a guy that I look forward to meeting in heaven. I, because we don't know who this man was before, and how did this happen, that he literally became possessed with thousands of demons? What happened to this man? We don't know his story. I mean, was he a father? Was he a husband? Like, what happened to him? Who was he? Um, he had, so he had no home. He lost his sanity. He had no friends. He was chained up basically in a graveyard outside of town. He would break the chains. He was cutting himself with rocks. The guy was out of his mind. He was possessed with likely thousands of demons. He said, the demon said, we are legion. And that word legion in Roman terms meant like 5,000. And again, there's all kinds of talk about what it meant. It meant literally thousands. The guy was possessed with thousands of demons. But one touch from Jesus, and he was delivered completely, clothed and in his right mind. That is the abundant God that we serve. Completely delivered and in his right mind. That is the God that we serve. In Matthew 14, and there's other stories like this, but the feeding of the 5,000. There's more than 5,000. That was the men. But these people were following Jesus because they desperately wanted to hear the good news of the gospel. And they're following him and they have no food. And so the only option is to send them away hungry to go get their own food. There's no other option. There is no curbside service. There is no drive through There is no way to meet the need. But Jesus takes a lunch of a small boy, enough to feed a boy, and feeds 5,000 people, and then has leftovers. That is the abundant God that we serve. In Luke 15, we read the story of an arrogant young man who says, give me what is mine. 
I'm going, I'm leaving, give me what is mine. And that arrogant young man took the blessing of the father, broke the father's heart, left and squandered everything, squandered it, wasted it completely. And then as he's laying in his own filth with pigs, he has completely honored, dishonored his father. He's wasted everything. And he says, my father's servants are better off than me. And so he crawls home and says to his father, make me one of your hired servants. And the father in an instant restores him to sonship and says, bring the ring, bring the robe, bring the sandals. My son is home. And the father rejoices. That is the abundant God that we serve, church. That is the abundant God that we serve. Did the son deserve it? He had squandered everything. Even the elder brother said, what are you doing? The religious elder brother couldn't even believe what the father was doing. But that is the abundant God that we serve. That is the heart of the God that we serve. That is the kind of love that the father has for us. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our trust because he is so good. In Luke 23... Jesus is hanging on a cross, and there is a man beside him that is getting the death penalty because of the life that he has lived. And he looks at Jesus, and he says, I deserve what I'm getting, but will you remember me, Lord? Will you remember me? And Jesus says to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. This is a man that could do nothing to earn it, absolutely nothing. And yet Jesus says, you're going to be with me today. This is the kind of God that we serve, church, that loves when there is absolutely nothing we can give him, nothing. In Mark 5, there is a woman who is sick. She has an issue of blood. There is nothing that can be done for her. She has wasted all of her money on doctors. There's nothing they can do. She is considered unclean. She is not allowed to be in public. She risks her life because she could have been stoned if someone had noticed. She risks her life, and she has no answers in the world. There's nothing anyone can do for her. And she says to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. She was crying out in her heart for an answer. And she knew Jesus had it. And she touched the hem of his garment and she was instantly healed. That is the abundant God that we serve. In John 11, one of Jesus' precious friends, Lazarus, Martha and Mary send word, Lord, our brother's sick unto death. And Jesus waits, and Lazarus dies. And when he comes, Martha runs to him. She is wrecked with grief. And she says to him, Lord, why didn't you come? If you had only come sooner, our brother wouldn't have perished. She basically accused Jesus of not caring in her wrecked grief. And he didn't even address it. He didn't rebuke her. He loved on her, and he immediately raised Lazarus from the dead. That, again, is that abundant love that God has for us. Even when we are so, I remember a time in my life, and I, I remember, I told a woman this story, and she was like shocked that I would say this. But there was a time in my life that I had felt that God had 
told me a promise and he didn't do it. And I told God, I said, you lied to me. And I told this woman that and she went, you said that to God. And I said, well, that's what I feel in my heart. And when I was honest with God, when I was able to say that to him, then he was able to bring healing to me because I was hurt and I was angry. And when I said it to him, he was able to minister to me. I was honest with him. And then he ministered to me. That is the abundant God that we serve. He loves well, church. He loves us even in when we're angry, when we're hurt, when we don't understand. He loves us through that. That is the abundant God that we serve. And then finally, there's a story in John 21. And I love this story. I am not a fisher. I don't know how to fish. I never liked it. I don't like squirmy worms. I don't like smelly lakes. I don't like fishing. But... This is a great story. So there's these guys fishing. They fish all night long. They've been casting their net. They've been fishing all night. So they're done. They're on the shore. They're cleaning their nets, and they got nothing. Okay, so thinking about this story, we don't know this, but I was thinking about the story. And this is their livelihood, okay? So what does that mean? Well, that means they don't make any money. Because they don't catch fish, lots of lots of fish in the net to eat it for the, just their family. I'm sure they do eat some of it. But the majority of that was probably their trade. And so they got nothing. And so now they have a problem because they don't have anything to sell. So they don't have, they can't pay their bills, they can't whatever. Now they're living under Roman rule, which meant they had taxes to pay. Rome was not nice about people that didn't pay their taxes. So I just thought about the repercussions of this, that this could be very serious for these men. And it could actually mean indentured servitude for them, their children. I mean, this could have really serious repercussions. So while they're cleaning their nets, I mean, their hearts could be wrecked because they're thinking, I'm in trouble. This is bad that I have no fish. And so Jesus says to them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Okay, now, I don't know much about fishing. I don't know much about fish. But I don't know about you, but if they fished all night, somehow I don't think that they missed fish on the other side of the boat. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the fish were hanging out at the other side of the boat all night and they missed them, okay? So if it were me, I would be kind of going, really, Lord? Really? You want me to cast? You don't, you don't think that we try that? You don't think that there might be, like, I don't think the fish were hanging out over there going, nah, 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 all night. I don't think. That. But they trusted Jesus and they said, okay, Lord. They, they, they trusted God. And when they put their net on the other side of the boat, there was such an abundance of fish that their nets were breaking and they had to have help. That is the abundant God that we serve. And I guarantee you, I am sure of it, as sure as I'm standing on this platform, that that was an abundant need meeting. Need meeting above and beyond anything that they could ask or think, that that met their needs far more than they could have asked for. That that haul, that amount of fish that they got, just was amazingly um, need meeting. I'm sure of it. And so, church, what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to fill your heart and fill your mind and fill your mouth with the assurance that God is good.
God is able to meet our need, and we know that. We read scripture, we read these stories, we know that God is able, but sometimes I think we're unsure if God is willing or if God wants to. And when we're facing struggles and we're not seeing an answer right away, I think a lot of times we're, we're thinking God doesn't want to, and that is so not true. We may not understand why it's not happening right now. We may not know why it's not right now. But I'm telling you, we need to continue to praise God. We need to continue to thank him for the answer and thank him because he's a good God. And when we know it and live it confidently, then it happens. It may not be our timing. Pastor John said, you know, the problem with prayer is it doesn't usually work the way I want it to. And I mean... Okay, that's honest. I mean, there you go. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundance in goodness and truth. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we serve. He is abundant in goodness and truth. And if we will just cling to that, no matter what it is we're facing, no matter what is going on in our lives, if we'll cling to that, then we can survive whatever it is the world throws at us. We can survive it. We can not only survive it, we can thrive through it. And know that God is good no matter what the circumstances are that we're facing because he is good. So I was thinking about our original scripture. Will you go back to my text, the, the second slide? <clears throat> that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory, okay? The riches of his glory. Think about that phrase, the riches of his glory. Okay, there is, that is the most unlimited riches you can imagine. Okay, so he will grant us according to the riches of his glory, all right? And then it talks about being strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit's awesome, if you hadn't figured that out. So we're going to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. We have Christ dwelling in our hearts. So we got Jesus in our hearts, and we're grounded in love. And then it says, so that we can comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, height, and depth of his love, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Okay, so... The love of Christ surpasses our knowledge. So in the natural, we can't grasp it. But Paul is declaring that we will be able to get it. The way that we get it is by declaring it. We get it by praising God. I believe that this series that Pastor has been teaching us, that is how we get it. I have been finding one of the things that I've been doing in my personal devotional and prayer time is I have been, and I've encouraged um, the women's Bible study that, that I'm part of, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been finding worship and praise songs like through YouTube and stuff that I really love. I, you know, there's a couple of songs that just really speak to my heart. And so I've been finding those and just playing them and, and declaring the words that, the, that they're singing, declaring the words. And it has so, um, it, it's just so abundantly built me up. And as I declare those words and declare those words, so I encourage you to do that. Find worship music, find songs that speak to your heart and declare them. It will build you up so much. So it says, um, so that we can comprehend what we can't comprehend. So he will do far more than we can ask or think. So basically, 
He wants to blow our minds. That is what God wants to do. He wants to absolutely blow our minds. Thank God. I don't know about you, but my mind can really be limited, and it can be really messed up sometimes. And I would love for God to just blow my mind with his awesomeness, with his abundance, because he is such a good God. And I love the fact that he wants to blow my mind with who he is. And so I want to encourage you tonight, church, in the Passion Translation, I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole um, passage. I just want to read verse 20 to you in the Passion Translation. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Isn't that amazing? God is so amazing, and he wants to blow our minds. We think we get it, and then he does something even more amazing. That is the God that we serve. He is so awesome, he is so powerful, and he dwells in us. He dwells in us, church. The God that spoke everything into existence dwells in you. What a powerful thought. You walk with the living God dwelling in you. Do not let this world kick your butt. Do not let it. My gosh, why do we walk around letting this world kick our butts? It has no power and authority over us. We should never be down in the doldrums. We should never allow the world to consume us. We have the living God dwelling in us, and he wants to blow our minds. And so walk in that confidently, knowing who God is in you. He is for you, and he wants to bless you abundantly. He is for you. I do want to tell you this. um, When I was young in the Lord, I was on the worship team, and uh, that's the first time I heard the story, what Pastor John preached um, this weekend on Jehoshaphat when um, he had the praisers in front of the army. I was on the worship team. That was the first time I heard that story. And wow, I thought, ooh, I don't think I like that story. Worship team has to go out in front of the army to fight. I didn't think I liked that very much. But I love the way the story came out. If we will praise first, praising first, we will be victorious automatically because that's the way God operates. He takes care of everything. We don't have to do it. If we will worship and praise, he will blow our minds. And it was amazing what he did because the armies, and this does not happen in the national, armies don't turn on themselves, but the armies turned on themselves, and it took them days to collect the spoils. That is the abundant God that we serve. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your abundance, God. You are good. You are good. You are good. We glorify your holy name. We thank you, God, that you are for us. God, I pray that this truth would live in our hearts, God, that we would know that you are good no matter what the world throws our way, that we would know that you are good. We glorify you. We exalt you. We love you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.